Good morning. My name's Andrew. I'm, uh, I'm excited for this opportunity to preach today, and uh, if not, a little nervous as well. Um, I want to ask you to, to go ahead and stand back up with me. I want us to start today with a, a shared prayer of confession. So we're going to do this like a responsive reading. Um, it'll be up on the screens. If it says one, I'm going to read that. And then if it says all, we'll read it together, okay? Loving God, we confess that we have stifled your spirit within us. The spirit of love, but we have preferred to hate those who oppose us. You have sent us the spirit of joy, but we have taken your gifts for granted and been ungrateful. You have sent us the spirit of peace, but we have allowed our selfishness to cause division and disharmony. You have sent us the spirit of patience, but we have been worried and anxious when we have not seen immediate results from our efforts or evidence of your love. You have sent us the spirit of kindness, but we have been indifferent to other people's needs. You have sent us the spirit of goodness, but through thoughtlessness, as well as our deliberate wrongdoing, we have sinned. You have sent us the spirit of faithfulness, but we have been fickle in our resolve, unreliable disciples of Jesus. You have sent us the spirit of gentleness, but we have been insensitive to the feelings of others. You have sent us the spirit of self-control, but we have lived recklessly without disciplining ourselves. Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now take a minute to silently confess your sins to God. Now hear the good news. Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone. A new life has begun. Believe the good news of the gospel and be forgiven in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. All right, thank you all. Young, have a seat. We're going to be in Acts 17 today, looking at Paul in Athens. And the main points I want to make, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I want us to grieve our idols, I want us to go to the people, and I want us to connect with our audience. Read with me now in Acts 17, starting in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting at the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. 
All of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set before them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, For see, he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this by all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on the subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the life that it gives, for the hope that it gives, and uh, for the direction it gives for our lives. Help us to see it in a new way today. Help us to be challenged by it, uh, to be encouraged by it, and to be made new by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Paul starts off um, in this passage. He's waiting. It starts off while Paul waited for them in Athens. Um, he was waiting there for Silas and Timothy to arrive. You see, Athens was not his final destination. And in fact, if we look right before this, we see he's gotten himself in trouble again. He was preaching about Jesus and the resurrection, and that angered some of the Jews, so he had to make a quick escape. So Athens, we can kind of think, is a little bit of a layover for him. But instead of stopping and eating Cinnabon like I would have, he keeps himself focused on the mission. He knows that, that his goal is to proclaim the gospel of Christ, so he follows on with that. You see, I'm often tempted to compartmentalize missions in my life. When we do this, we make missions a specific event or a trip, and we remove it from our everyday life. So when I go to the Oz and feed the hungry, I'm on mission. When I go to Jefferson Healthcare and teach a Bible study, I'm on mission. When I go to Zimbabwe, I'm on mission. It's clear then. But Tuesday when I'm at work, I'm not. Or Friday when I'm at a baseball game, I'm not. This kind of thinking removes it from our everyday life. And uh, it makes it think of of missions as something we're going to do someday in the future. So maybe when we've got got it all figured out. When life isn't so busy. When the kids are out of the house. When the semester's over. Just any time when life's not crazy. But here's the thing. Life is always crazy. There's never going to be a time when our life circumstances line up perfectly so that we go on mission. So we have to figure out now how to do it within our hectic lives. 
I experienced this um, compartmentalization, oddly enough, while I was on our mission trip in Zimbabwe. You see, for the first seven days, we were focused doing specific projects. Um, so it was easy to know then when I was on mission. So when we were doing a medical clinic, I was on mission. When we were doing evangelism and discipleship seminars, I was on mission. When um, we went out into the village of Dombolshava, it was clear to me then that I was on mission. But after those seven days, we kind of transitioned into the, the fun part of our trip. And we made the, the drive up to Victoria Falls, which was beautiful and amazing and incredible. And I'm so glad we did it. But that kind of separated in my mind when I was on mission and when I was just having fun. So on that drive, we stopped at a gas station for a snack break. And uh, I got out to stretch my legs, walk around a little bit. And while I'm doing this, a man who's working there as a security guard comes up to me. He says, hey, who are y'all? Um, well, he didn't say y'all, of course. But um, <laughs> he said, who are you? Um, what are y'all doing? And uh, so I said, hey, I'm Andrew. We've traveled here to see your country. Um, we're from the United States, from New Orleans, Louisiana. And then I had to step back for a minute. And I was like, what? What are you doing? What have you been doing all week? Why are you not offering this man the same hope that you've offered those in the village? And so... I had transitioned myself from Andrew the missionary to Andrew the tourist at that point. And so I stepped back, I took a breath, and I said, he gave me an opportunity, you know, he asked what we're doing. I said, actually, we've got friends here, Brett and Allison Barnhill, they're missionaries. We've come to work with them, um, to learn about uh, Christianity in Zimbabwe, to encourage them, to fellowship with other believers. And we've been going and telling people about the good news of Jesus using the two kingdoms. Can I share that with you? And he said, yeah, I've got a couple of minutes, but do you have anything I could just take home with me? And so I told him a little bit about it, and, and I let him take um, a sheet home, and, and it helped me connect the two. I saw that even though we were having fun, we were doing stuff that was more of a vacation than the specific mission work, I was still on mission. As a follower of Christ, I am called to be on mission all the time. There's no practice round for life. There's just life. And while we're living, we're called to make disciples of all nations. So if anyone gets this full-time mission, it's Paul. He doesn't stop and just have a layover. He continues his mission there. Um, so as he's in Athens, he's walking around. He's looking for people to share with. He sees idols, and it causes a gut reaction within him. He grieves this. He's hurt by this. He's sad. He's angry. Maybe he recognized himself in this culture. Maybe he just knew his Jewish history and knew the allure of gods that you can see and can touch. Whatever the case was, Paul's encounter with the idols caused him to grieve. Think about it now. What are the idols of our culture? What are the idols in our city? What are the idols in your own life? Do you grieve over these, or are you just numb to it at this point? We don't have to look very far in our city to, uh, to recognize idols. We don't have to look very far in our life to recognize idols. Our city has a beautiful downtown skyline, and it's highlighted by this big round building that can easily become an idol in our life. And if any of you are convicted and need to get rid of some tickets, I know a guy. <laughs> but entertainment, money, consumption, all of these things can be gods if we let them. And we can spend all of our time creating idols and feeding these idols. I've got an idol in my pocket right now, my cell phone. Um, it's easy for that to become an idol to the God of knowledge or the God of image or the God of pride. 
Are you able to simply use that as a tool, or is it taking more and more control of your life? Are you elevating those things to a place that they don't belong? Well, our, our idols look a little different than those um, that Paul encountered in Athens. Those of us who traveled to Zimbabwe got to see firsthand some pictures of idols or hear stories of idols um, from within that culture. Uh, we had to rely on the pastors and our translators there to kind of help us with this cultural understanding because from the outside, it just looked like jewelry to us or it looked like uh, a specific dress to us. It didn't look like an idol, but they gave us some insight on this. So in Zimbabwe, they're generally very religious, um, but they've kind of blended a lot of different religions. So they want, they want Jesus, but they want to add Jesus to their more traditional religions and their ancestral worship and things like that. So there are churches that look like churches to us, but the pastors and the people who work there say, no, they, they, they take Jesus, but, but they don't let go of everything else. They don't die to their self. They don't die to their other religions. So we would some, see some that were in white garments. They were all dressed in white, and we'd see them on the side of the road gathered together. And they were gathering there to go into the wilderness to pray to their ancestors. These robes became a symbol or an idol for them. Some others wore bracelets around their, their, their arms or their necks. They were protective charms. And so Brett and Allison would tell us about sharing the gospel with people. And they would say, they would say look, I want, I want to believe in Jesus, but I don't know if I can let go of this right now. And they would say, you have to. When you believe in Jesus, when you trust Jesus, it requires everything. You're dying to yourself and being raised in a new life. So a lot of times they would travel around with a pair of scissors and they would symbolically, as well as physically, cut those idols from the people that were there. All of these things were set apart by people and given a place that belongs to God alone. These idols, idols caused Paul to grieve. And grief is good in the right context. We need to grieve the things in life that aren't as they're supposed to be. We need to grieve loss and hurt. We need to grieve the things that lead people astray. But we have to be careful about how we grieve and how we respond to that grief. If we let it get rooted deep in our heart, it leads us to despair. If we hold on to that grief and wallow in that grief, it leads us to despair. Dorothy Day was the founder of the Catholic Worker, Worker Movement, and she said, as Christians, we have no right to despair. Our job is to hope. Hope is a bold witness in the face of things that aren't as they should be. Hope is defiance in the face of death. Hope, is, hope gives us courage to live because our hope is rooted in Christ, who even in death is making all things new. Paul grieved the idols, but he didn't wallow in it and moved them into action. So we see here now in verse 17, he began to interact with the Jews and the Gentile God worshipers in the synagogue. He also addressed whoever happened to be in the marketplace each day. Paul made it a habit to go to people and make himself available to people who he could share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. So in here we see he starts going. This grief moves him into action. He wants to be around um, people in the synagogue who share his culture. So he, he cared deeply about the Jews, and he wanted them to see that I, I messed it up too. I did not think Jesus was the one who was to come, but Jesus is the one we have to put all our hopes in. So he wanted to connect with that culture. And then he went into the marketplace as well because he wanted to connect with people from a different culture than him. Um, he knew that he would encounter people from outside of his own experience. Are you willing to go? One of our core values here at First Baptist New Orleans is that we gather to go to the need. When we say that, we're saying two things. We're saying that gathering here is important. 
What we do here every week is vital to our health as individual Christians, but also to our community. We have to gather to hold forth a bold witness of Jesus Christ. We need to be faithful in that. But what that says also is that gathering is not the end goal. We gather here so that we can go out to the need in our community and in our world. When we make Jesus the Lord of our life, we are made new into the hands and feet of Christ. Are you willing to go to those who are different than you? I'll be honest, um, this right now in our current cultural context seems almost impossible. It's hard for me to log on to Facebook without getting angry or wallowing in despair that we see the world so differently that we have no way to connect. But we have to find those ways to connect. We have to take the time to be around people who are different than us. We have to be willing to be among people who disagree and see the world differently. We see here that Paul, what he presents to them is confusing. Some think that the resurrection is the name of another God. They're confused and say, what is this babbler trying to say? Have you ever felt like that? Has it all seemed like babbling before? Maybe before you experience the Holy Spirit, you're like, what are these people talking about? When we go to Jefferson Healthcare, there's a resident there. And just this week, um, Wanda Gregg leads out there at that ministry, and she sent some books on the basics of Christianity to a resident there. Um, she had been coming to the, the Bible study for about a month now, and she finally just pulled Wanda aside and said, hey, I'm so confused. I don't know what you're talking about. You see, to her, it was all babbling. And so Wanda took the initiative. She said, yeah, I can get you some resources. I know you love to read. I know you've got time. You can look at these, and I'm going to follow up with you. I'm going to help you understand this. But for her right now, it was just babbling. See, Paul, I think, remembered his history as well. I'm sure that he remembered it in times like these. When he first heard of Christianity in the way, all he could understand it as was blasphemy or nonsense or babbling. He was blinded to the truth of the gospel. But then God had to blind him so that his eyes could be open to the truth of the gospel. It's okay if they call you a babbler. When we talk about the kingdom of God and the resurrection of Jesus, it's going to confuse and anger people. When we ask people to take up their cross and follow Jesus, it's not an easy thing to do. We understand that it has to be the work of the Holy Spirit for people to understand this and see this as their life. Paul was ready to go to the people, and he was also ready to connect with his audience. Let's look now at how he begins the message for his audience. In verse 22, Paul stood up in the middle of the council on Mars Hill and said, People of Athens, I see that you are very religious in every way. As I was walking through town, carefully observing your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So Paul finds a starting point here to help connect with his audience. He, he wants them to understand Jesus, and so he starts in, in the most basic way he can. He appeals to their religiosity. He says, look, in every way I see you're very religious. You're seeking God. You want to know the truth. You're very religious. These practices aren't foreign to you. And also, I was walking around, and I see this inscription, to an unknown God. He wants to find ways to connect the story of Jesus with the cultural context he's speaking in. Um, we call this contextualization. And um, this is just making, making the gospel easy to understand within the context as presented. We contextualize the gospel in our CareFic ministries each week. Those who go to Rivard or Orleans Parish Prison, they use resources specifically designed for people who are locked up, who are incarcerated, who lack the freedom that we lack. So one of the resources they use is called Free on the Inside. It, it, it starts with this idea that through Christ you can experience freedom, even if you lack 
some physical freedoms. We also contextualized the gospel when we went to Zimbabwe. Uh, a couple weeks ago, you got to hear Amy share the two kingdoms. That way of presenting the gospel was designed specifically for that region of Africa. The people there are generally pretty religious, and so they have a starting point and understanding of good and evil, right and wrong. So the two kingdoms starts off, in the spiritual world, there are two kingdoms, a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. God is the ruler of the kingdom of light. They find ways to contextualize so they can connect the story of Jesus with the cultural understanding of the people they're speaking to. Um, we contextualize the gospel not to make Jesus easier to follow, but simply to make it easier to understand within a specific context. Let me say that again. We contextualize the gospel not to make Jesus easier to follow, but simply to make the gospel easier to understand within a specific context. Paul continues his speech, and he affirms that God has been made known through creation. For in him we live and move and have our being. He also affirms that God has been made known through Jesus and the resurrection. God has been made known, and that demands a response. We began the sermon with a prayer of confession. In that, we acknowledge the many ways that um, God has equipped us and empowered us. And we also acknowledge the many ways that we've failed. While in Zimbabwe, um, one of the activities we did uh, was a, a discipleship and evangelism seminar. And in one of those sessions, Allison Barnhill, um, who grew up in this church, uh, Allison Hunter, she still has some family here. She was leading this session, and she started with a vision casting tool. And it made a huge impact on me, so I want to share it with you now. So um, grab your worship guide, and there's an insert in there. And I want you to take that. This is for you to take home. These are the names of people nominated um, that we're going to vote on for our pastor search committee. So take that insert home, pray over these names, pray for who God is wanting to put on that committee to search for the person who will lead our church next. Go ahead and flip that over on the back so you've got a blank sheet though. Grab a pen or a pencil and uh, write your name right in the middle of that sheet. Now draw a branch off of your name for every person that you've led to Christ over the past year. Write their name there. Yikes, right? When we did this at New Harvest Church in Zimbabwe, uh, it was a gut punch to me and to most of us who were in that room. When we kind of finally brought up the courage to lift our heads and sheepishly look around the room, we realized we weren't very busy writing. Maybe you are busy writing. I hope you are. I hope this is something that's a regular part of your life. But I have a feeling that a lot of you are feeling like I did that day. Grieve that. Grieve it deeply. But don't let it move you to despair. Use it as a tool to move forward as you follow the risen Christ. We are the hands, the feet, the eyes of Christ in the world. God has allowed us to participate in the work of God's kingdom. God has commissioned us to go and do the work of God. We know that we're not saved by any works of our hands, but only by the grace of Jesus Christ. But still, there should be some evidence of our new life in Christ. Are you inviting anyone into God's kingdom? Are you feeding the hungry? 
Are you visiting the sick and the prisoner? Are you available to the widow and the orphan? Are you comforting the hurting and the lonely? Are you dreaming and acting God's kingdom into its fullness? Pray with me now. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We've prayed a prayer of confession, and we thank you for your forgiveness. Forgive us, God, for being slow to care, slow to love, slow to show gratitude, slow to seek peace, slow to listen. Forgive us for being impatient, unkind, and unforgiving. Help us, God, as we seek you and your way in our life. Let us be open to the movement of your Holy Spirit in us and through us. God, prepare us to go to the need in your city and in your world. Help us to trust you always. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.